We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode number 82. This is the episode where we talk about how Derek Jeter is now a married man. Scott, what's up? You know, I think he leaked out that it was going to be a week earlier just so everybody would get off of it, and then he goes and just sneaks it in. Uh, good on Jeets. Good on Jeets. I'm glad he, he finally tied the knot, and uh, he picked a beautiful woman. I mean, as anyone would think that he wouldn't. Good job, Jeter. Congratulations. I feel this is his actual retirement ceremony. He's retired from the game. He is one of the all-time great coxmen to ever walk the, <laughs> the face of this earth. Put him in the same category as Leo. Um, and now Jeter is retired from that game. He's retired from baseball from, for a few years at this point. Um, no, Nothing more fitting than just getting a ticket on 4th of July weekend and now getting married. He, he is now officially an old man. Yeah, I mean, good job, man. This this he does it on the same weekend where he got three thousand hits. Perfect way to remember your anniversary, true Jeter style. It's uh, going out going out with a bang, man. I mean, look, congratulations to this dude. I'm I'm happy for him. I hope he lives a a, a long, uh, healthy life after retirement. Gets back into baseball, hopefully back into the Yankees organization somehow. And I hope he comes back to the stadium a lot after a couple of years after he gets all the retirement juices uh out of his system he he, uh he starts coming back to the stadium quite a bit so the so we can start seeing him more that that's that's what i hope for well we're gonna see him august 13th yeah he will be there he will definitely be there that's gonna be fun i I think it was a pretty small ceremony for jeter he's a very private guy one guy we know was probably there mariano rivera this show is dedicated to him because number 82 that is the career number of wins that he had with the yankees uh, obviously, you don't look at a relief pitcher for win totals. Most of the time, he was getting wins. It was because he came in into a into a tie ball game or was pitching into extra innings or something along those lines. But eighty two wins for the greatest of all time. It's a pretty nice number for uh, for a closer. Yeah, you got to pitch a long time to get eighty two wins. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. There's many there's many starting pitchers that would love to to have eighty two wins in the in the bigs. That's a pretty big number. So. So here we are. We're at the All-Star break. The Yankees just took three out of four from Cleveland, who's one of the better teams. We said that was going to be a tough series because they, I believe, won 14 in a row. 
over the last couple weeks. So so they're a tough team to play at this point. They won three out of four to get to 500. They're 44 and 44. This is what we've seen over this team pretty much for the last two months where they fall slightly below 500. They get back to 500. They might sneak over 500, but then they dip back below. They're seven and a half games in back of the Orioles in the AL East, five and a half games out of the wild card. That means they dropped two more games since you and I talked two weeks ago when they were only three and a half out of the wild card. Six teams are still ahead of them. They are pretty much the the only team that can still make the wild card um, of those six teams because below them is Oakland. They're like 12 or 13 back. So it's the Yankees are the last of the teams that are in contention for the wild card. So we sit here, they're, they're, as I said, they're 500. How do you feel going into this break? Are you on a positive note or a negative note? I mean, you have to look at what's happened. We, we were a 500 team. We've played 500 ball. And over the past two weeks, there have been uh, well, there are six teams, five teams ahead of us. These guys are not playing 500 ball. So what happened is we dropped two more games. And that's going to continue to happen. If we play 500 ball even a little bit better, a little bit less, they're not going to catch that. They're not going to catch those teams because of those six teams, at least one, probably two, maybe three are going to get really hot. And uh, or, or at least get hot for stretches, hot and they're going to widen that gap. Yeah, even if they gonna... don't play 600 ball, even if they play 550 ball, that that doesn't seem like something the Yankees are capable of. It's not feasible. It's not feasible when you look at that. When you look at that actual number, the amount of teams that are in front of us, how far out we are, and how the 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 type of stretches that we have to put together just to stay in contention on that second wild card, it's really not feasible in my opinion. And and like I've said in the past, I think this week after the break, uh, you know, this two-week stretch or whatever it is before the trade deadline is going to be the the ultimate. I'm gonna we're, we're gonna stop saying look at these two-week stretch after this two-week stretch. Well, because it's time is running out on this season. Right, they're gonna have to make a decision come the end of July. We're in the middle of July. Once we come back from the All Star break, it's gonna be July fifteenth. And they play. They play Boston, and then I believe they play Baltimore, right? Yeah, it's Baltimore, then, then uh, San Francisco, Houston, and I think Tampa. Right. So take Tampa out because they're they're falling on their faces. They're they're in the toilet right now. But all those right. other teams are pretty good. The Yankees are gonna have to go, you know, something like ten and three in those thirteen ball games if we want to talk about them being in this race and. When's the last time they went ten and three this season? I don't think it's happened. I mean, usually if you look at, at the numbers against Baltimore and, Bo- and Boston, it's pretty pretty close to splits, right? They're they're very close to a, a five hundred. Uh, you know, when we play those teams, no, no team really dominates the, too too frequently. So you look at that. Maybe we walk out five hundred. Then you then you have uh, San Francisco, who's might be one of the best teams in baseball right now. Uh, you know, God forbid we get Madison Bumgarner and Cueto come in to Yankee Stadium and pitch against us. And then you have Houston who's who's you know was off to a slow start pitching or playing much better. Tons of young talent. Uh, Dallas Keuchel who's arch nemesis for the Yankees number 1. We cannot hit him. I don't even think we've still have we still got have we gotten a run on him in like 20 some innings yet? I, I'm not sure if it's happened yet, but um, it's a very very tough stretch I, and I, I just I, I don't see it ending well for this team. Well, like you said, that might be the final nail in the coffin for this 2006. Delivered by Keuchel again. <laughs> so it, it is the make or break point in the season. I Do you think, though, if they come out 500 and say we're still sitting five games out of the wild card, what do you think ownership does at that point? Do they consider that still in the race? They considered two and a half, three and a half in the race, even though six teams were ahead of them. If they're five out and six teams ahead of them, is that, you know, in their minds, do they have a chance for the playoffs? I think they might not sell some of the guys that they would sell if they were further out. That's a really terrible statement. So I think what they would they would sell the guys that that must they'd, be sold. They'd sell half ass. They'd half ass that. They'd, they'd, they'd sell Chapman. They'd, they'd sell, sell Beltron. Yeah, they'd sell they'd sell the guys with expiring contracts. They'd look to get rid of Teixeira. They'd look uh, to get rid of Beltron. They'd well, they look, should look to get rid of Teixeira regardless. Yes, but that's one of the guys. I'm just saying those are the the definites. Uh, the Chapman. The Chapman, Beltron, and Teixeira of the world, I think they would they would look to get rid of those guys. So that's that's you know if we were to stand pat where we are right now. But um, you know we lose another game or two games, they should be ready to just ready to roll. And I, I you know I've said this to you before. 
I, I believe Cashman's ready to go. I think Cashman is, is, is you know, my, my opinion of him is that he's ready to sell. He, he realizes what's in front of him at this point, and he knows that to make this team better for 2017, 18, and plus, to set ourselves up for that 2019 free agent class where we have to have a surrounding staffer for us even to be looked at from some of these middle-tier guys and some of the upper echelon guys, he knows it. He knows what the deal is, and I, I still believe in Cashman. The annoying thing about this Yankees team is I bet they go 500 or about that in that game stretch, and they're not going to make it easy on on Cashman. If they lose the first, you know, if they go one and six in the first seven games out of the All Star break, it's an easy decision for Cashman. Right. But if they go three and three, four and three, three and four, it's still a tough decision, and he's got to answer to the Steinbrenners who have to answer to the fans. I understand the position he's in. I just hope, as I think you just said, he's realistic about this team. But but the thing is that we've seen this year more than than I don't know the past ten to almost fifteen years. The the Yankee fan base is ready to go. We're good. You you don't have to you don't have to. I think the minority are the people that don't want to sell. So at this point, I don't think they're going to piss off any of the fan base to tell you the truth. They, again, they may well, they they may anger a, a minority of it, but the the guys. And girls who watch this team day in and day out know damn well what we're looking at, and they know this is a team that is not going to that is not going to win ball games. And if you're going to set us up for something more positive to get younger, then I think we're ready to go for it. I don't think it's as big of a sell to the fans. I don't think that Steinbrenners really care about the fans like you or me or the fans that realize this team needs to sell in order to get better. They care about the people buying luxury boxes and are taking their families, and they don't want to. They want to have to at least justify to themselves, I'm spending $400 on a ball game between food and tickets for my family of four. I want to. I don't want to go watch AAA players. So the Steinbrenners don't care about you or me who would rather see this team sell because we're smart baseball fans. They care about the the average baseball fans and the corporate sponsorships and the, and the, the luxury box people. Yeah, I mean, I could argue the other way, though. I mean, if I'm a luxury box guy who has that money to spend, I'm going to go spend that money, and I'd rather see some exciting young kid than some over-the-hill guy who's going to go in and strike out or hit a Those single. Those guys don't care. They just want to get away from their wives and take a exactly. So who, the game. Okay, so you just made my point. They don't care. Well, so, they, they but they want to be able to sell it. You know, oh, let's go watch A-Rod and Mark Teixeira and Andrew Miller and Carlos Beltran, not Rob Snyder and Ben Gamel and Luis Severino and all those guys. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think it's even a tough sell for the old guys. I think I think that's it's those names don't mean anything anymore. You might be right. All right. So what are your three what are three big takeaways you have from this first half? We watched pretty much all these games. We've talked about it at nauseum. Give me three takeaways. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to go off of uh, uh, off of something that we've talked about quite a bit. And I'm going to mix it up a little bit on this one. Evaldi. You know, I said he broke my heart. He did. <laughs> biggest disappointment. Um, on the flip side, Rob Refsnyder, biggest positive to me of the Yankees finally seeing this guy as as a as a as a true baseball player. So my my two fanboys, my two my two the clubs that I'm the president of. One of them, I'm 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 down in the dumps. I'm alone at this point, and Ref Snyder is just like, get on the train, let's go, because he's starting to play almost every day. They're seeing that he's a valuable asset to this team, and um and yeah, he's he's really he's showing it. I mean, he's putting together good at bats time and time again, and and go and go go look now, but but uh, Rob Ref Snyder's playing some good defense all over the place, so you know I guess that's uh. To our credit, right? Because we've been saying that for a year and a half. They're slowly but surely turning him into Ben Zobrist. I know, and I like it. I like it a lot. I think you can find a place for a guy like that on a team. No doubt. All right, so... so yeah, That's my big one. Yep, yep. Um, the, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> my second my second one is, uh, is Didi. I think... The, one of the big things for Didi, I mean, we're seeing him become more of a complete player, right? And I know you and I agree on this. Uh, one of the big things for him, though, that what I'm seeing and that what I want to see into the future, into the you know the second half of the year, kind of the things I'm going to be looking at, no matter where where the Yankees are in the in the standings, is how he he if he continues this this growth, and because I think Didi can be you know a leader moving forward into the next wave of of young Yankees that are coming up. I mean, he's he has a, a big a big 
position to fill. Obviously, for Yankee Stadium, uh, the the heir apparent just got married. He's off off the re- off the uh, the books in in more ways than one. Didi's stepping in nicely. He's playing well. He's he's controlling himself well. He's good on and off the field. He's got a great personality, big smile. He he really seems to be loving New York, and I think he could be a big leader going forward. So. That's that's definitely my second one. I'm excited about Didi. And then my third is there's we've realized that we had the big three. We all come in, we know the big three. This was like an exciting thing. But the one thing that I guess we didn't we didn't realize as much is that there is zero bridge from the starting rotation to that to that little that toy at the end of the uh, bullpen, and what we've learned this year is we needed a much longer, much more stable bridge than we thought going into. Because while we saw some of it from last year, and I guess it was just optimism that we thought it would, these guys would improve and go longer into games, they haven't. And we needed a longer and more stable bridge to get to this closing the the, the trio on the back and. They're just not suited for this team. So the land of Kirby Yates and Nick Goody is not pretty. It's crumbling. Yeah, it's it's bad. Not stable ground. To your point about needing a bridge, um, it, I'm not. I don't want to make this seem like it's a complaint, but I feel Dylan Batances has taken a slight step back this year. He's not the same lights out guy he was the last two seasons, and. He's still very good. He's still an all-star pitcher. So by no means am I complaining. But if you look at his numbers, I mean, he just put up historic, filthy numbers in 2014 and 2015. Maybe it's unfair to ever compare him to those numbers because they were unprecedented. Not only the strikeout numbers and the ERA and the whip, but he was pitching insane amount of innings. He was going very routinely one and a third, one, uh, one and two thirds, maybe in two innings. So he he threw so many innings, so many quality innings for this team. And he's had a couple of hiccups, especially in the last few weeks, I feel like. Maybe it's just maybe it's just me, but that's what my eyes are telling me. Yeah, well, they're definitely scoring up the ball, I think, a little bit better. And I don't know if that's just because there's more tape. And, and you're right, maybe there were some unrealistic expectations set for him because he was so good or so early. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about more about this on that. I know we're, we're kind of circling that Cleveland game when he came in, um, but I got something else more to say on that because I think Hicks took a terrible route at that ball, and and I think that was avoidable. But, um, yeah, it's, it is it is uh, slightly unfair, I think, to judge him at such a high standard just because he came out of the gate so hot. All right, so my three takeaways from, this, from the first half of the season. Number one, it's the overall lack of starting pitching consistency. Um, I've been extremely disappointed in – really the three guys that they needed to count on Tanaka, Pineda, and Evaldi. We CC has been better than expected, even though he's not been good the last, you know, three weeks, two weeks. Um, Severino, we expected big things out of, but he was a rookie. So I want to mainly focus on Tanaka, Pineda, and Evaldi. Evaldi had that great month of May and then got bounced from the rotation. He was so bad. Meanwhile, Pineda was only good for a short stretch when Evaldi was so terrible so there was just no consistency there where you could have back-to-back nights of of quality starts and Tanaka the fact that Tanaka can only you can only rely on Tanaka when he's got five full days rest is so insane I don't know if you saw that quote from Girardi I actually tweeted out I took a video of it he was basically fed up with the questions from the reporters about Tanaka will he go on that extra day rest Girardi was saying I can't keep doing that for this guy. He needs to learn how to pitch in the in the U.S. baseball system where you're going to have to pitch a lot on that fifth day. You can't always have that sixth day. That's just – that's what he's getting paid for. That's what he's getting paid $25 million a year for is to adapt. And, and it shouldn't matter if he can't always get that six-day arrest. Um, I know Tanaka's numbers overall are going to tell one story. But as far as what I've watched, and, and it really was highlighted by the, by today, uh, we're recording Sunday night, what happened today in Cleveland, where he couldn't even get out of the fifth inning of a game, the Yankees scored 11 runs for him. You're telling me that's an ace? That is not an ace. Not even close. Yeah, I got to respond to this before you go to your next two. The You're absolutely right, and the fact that Tanaka... It's 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 not fair for Girardi to have to adapt to a guy that can only pitch on on six days rest, five full days of rest uh, on the, you know pitching on the sixth day. It's it's just you need to be a professional. 
you're a professional, you're getting paid a lot of money to be a professional to throw a ball for a living. You need to work out the details on how you how you train, how you work your body, and how you make that adjustment. Because that's I mean, you knew what was happening coming into this. We we've you know, he he had early success. Now there's a book on him. And, you know, we've had we've seen the issues with the arm. We're past that at this point. To me, it's a non-issue. And the, the fact that he does do well on the on, on six days over five and uh, and that the media keeps bringing it up and, and it's not Girardi's fault. He can only do it so much. So totally agree. He's got to make the adjustment. My second point, and it was you already mentioned Didi. He's become, I know, one of my favorite players and I think he's become one of your favorite players. All around great player. He's turned into the Yankees, I think, all-around best player. I mean, I know Beltran has carried them offensively. <clears throat> Excuse me. But but Didi's defense combined with his very consistent offense, you know, he's never going to be a number three hitter or a number four hitter, but he's really, really good towards the bottom of the order. Maybe if he, if he takes another step forward, he could even bat second for this team. But all around, I've loved what Didi's done. He still has some improvement to make. Um, I think you were alluding to it. You know, he has some flaws. He makes easy errors uh, today also in Cleveland. He he made that that throwing error in the fifth inning that sort of led to Tanaka's blow up. And also some base running mistakes that he makes. Um, but I think if he can improve on those couple of things, the Yankees found themselves one hell of a shortstop. And pr- pretty crazy to think after where Didi was at April of 2015. So I'm very happy with Didi. Um my last takeaway from this season, and it's a scary thought, is that I think that Yankees, you know, ma- uh, management and ownership might be a tad delusional. When you think about Lon Trost and Randy Levine's comments, it just scares me to think that they do not really understand what the fans want from this team. And George Steinbrenner always wanted to win, and and he understood that's what Yankee fans wanted. And it just seems like the current ownership is not grasping what the fans are are really asking for. Yeah, and do you, are you talking about the fact that that we're okay with with bringing some new guys up and and that the 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 the, the product on the field, while won't be the the big name guys, it'll be our guys and someone we can grow with. I mean, are, are you alluding to that? I'm alluding to that. I mentioned it earlier, like five ten minutes ago in the show when we talked about how. I don't think they care about the fans who care about that. They just care about more of the right. casual fan. Also, the fact that the comments about the StubHub tickets in spring training was was such a slap in the face to the the common man Yankee fan that he that he, he they shouldn't be sitting in the legend suites. They don't want a a, a wealthy ticket holder to be sitting next to a, basically a you know a poorer fan. It was just a, yeah. such a slap in the face, so out of touch with reality. You know, another thing, as we're talking about this, the more I'm thinking about it, too, it's it is a disconnect. There's definitely a disconnect. And there seems to be a lot of voices coming from the ownership, too. We're, we're hearing from a lot of different people. You know, we're hearing from the Steinbrenners. We're hearing from uh, Levine. We're hearing from Trust. We're hearing from Cash. We're hearing from Girardi. The, to me, there should be more of a unified voice. When we had Steinbrenner, I mean, that, that's who we heard from. We heard from Steinbrenner. You know, we heard from the GM. We heard from the manager. There, there's a there's a unified, a unified voice from the ownership. And to me, it's almost like the the voice, while while they're talking about the same team, seems to be very different. Um, it seems like they there's baseball guys talking about baseball. There's non-baseball guys talking about baseball. There's non-baseball guys talking about the fans who you know who I don't know how many they've actually encountered. It's just I don't know. It's a strange it's a strange setup with the amount of people that are are talking about the the, the current uh, you know landscape of the team. You're totally right. Uh, I, when you list them all out, you realize, yeah, a lot of people are talking about the same thing. As far as baseball matters, I really only want to hear from Cashman and Girardi. Right. And as but, far but, you, as, but the ownership, I think, is, is, has the ownership to, with a unified voice to me, whoever the, the spokesperson is, you know, you know, label aside spokesperson, but whoever that guy is should be able to, to, to chime in when, when, you know, when needed, like Steinbrenner would, would step in if, if guys were not, um, you know, doing what they were supposed to do. Like, I'm okay with that type of thing. I don't know if Steinbrenner ever, I'm, uh, I'm talking about if the team is selling or not. I mean, that's a very specific baseball question. If they want, it, it, when Hal Steinbrenner um, called the team out, I believe it was when they were in Arizona for their 
underperformance. That's fine. It, that's a general statement. And that's the owner of the team, everybody's boss, saying shit needs to change. I'm totally okay with that. But for Levine to get into the into the weeds of oh, you know, we're not ready to sell this, this, you know, all that stuff about we're still in this race. Right. Let Cashman handle that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He should absolutely refer to Cashman on those. You know, just even say that. Brian Cashman is the general manager of this team. You know, that's a that's a question for Brian Cashman. They yeah. can have the conversations all they want behind the scenes. I don't know why everybody's got to talk about it, though. And it might seem, like, insignificant because that is not really happening on the field. But it's just the overall perception of the team for somebody like myself who is following this team so closely. I, I don't want to be talked to like that from ownership. And maybe that's a personal preference. Maybe some other people don't care. But it, but it does matter to me. Uh, and I think it matters to a lot of people. All right, so let's get to some stuff that actually happened on the field. And uh, we have an interesting stat about the Yankees pitching. And it's kind of an oxymoron when I read this sentence. Yankees pitching is fourth in Major League Baseball in total strikeouts and also have walked the least batters in MLB. But their 4.46 team ERA ranks 19 out of 30 teams in the league. So so when they hit the ball, they're hitting the ball. <laughs> a plus B does not always equal C. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's crazy. I mean, I think a lot of these numbers, it, it, it's kind of Michael Pineda in a, nut, in a nutshell, isn't it? Because Pineda's strikeout totals are, are significant and his swing to miss ratio is significant, yet his ERA is ballooned because when he gets into ideal situations, uh, a lot of, he could have even more strikeouts, but he's leaving, you know, one, two, oh, two counts up in the zone and they're shellacking the ball. So when they do make hard contact, it's hard contact and it's, uh, and it's damaging contact. So and I think also a lot of those strikeouts can be attributed to the three-headed monster who strikes right. everybody out. Right. It's like you look at the Yankees' bullpen, and it's like, wow, they're first in the league in strikeouts. Oh, but they're 12th in the league in ERA and you know ninth in the league in hits given up, and their whip is high. It's like overall, there's still so many holes in that bullpen. Yeah, if we get to the seventh inning, like you said, there's no bridge. If we get to the seventh inning, everything's roses. But there's a good chance we're going to have to have Kirby Yates come in and really mess shit up in the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, we can stop talking about Kirby Yates. He's no longer no longer that guy. We could just just insert another name though. Yeah, Kirby. Because there's 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 ten of them. Kirby Yates is uh, my David Carpenter this year. <laughs> um. All right. So also some things that happened. Bad news out of Yankees minor leagues. We had pinstripe pros on a couple weeks ago and he kind of teased this towards the end of the show that he thinks he thought or was hearing jorge mateo had an attitude problem and it turns out he actually might because he was suspended for two weeks and the reports are saying that he kind of was mouthing off and the yankees finally got tired of it and the yankees organization suspended him from all baseball activities for two weeks and we probably should have questioned uh, Robert when he dropped that nugget on us in that in that podcast a couple weeks ago. You know, do you have any specific examples? But it sounds like this might be a specific example where he was, um, I guess, mouthing off to I don't know if it was teammates or, or coaches or whatever no, it was. No, it was, and we we actually did. We I think we grilled him when Robert said it. He. He, he talked about it as much as he knew. I, I don't think he had any specific knowledge of, of like an actual incident, but he, he definitely was hearing whispers of it. And what, one of the big things that uh, apparently had happened was there was a, a guy that um, someone got called up uh, over Mateo, and Mateo was not happy about it and voiced that displeasure. And I think that's one of the things. I mean, he was at a point where he was getting ready to go up to Trenton. Didn't happen. The promotion went somewhere else. Mateo was not happy about it. He believes he should be up there. Uh, and I think that was one of the things. It was kind of a, you know, a, a, in the ranks, he was, he was, he was skipping, skipping contention in the ranks as far as, you know, where he, where he thinks he should be and where the Yankees think he should be. So I guess they put him in his place. Hopefully this is, uh, this is something that, that, is, that is fixed and, uh, you know, lesson learned. And let's just play baseball because that's what he just needs to do. His talent is superior. He needs to just play baseball, uh, put his head down and, and get better. This happened to Gary Sanchez a couple years ago, if you remember. It did. Yeah, I do. So this isn't the first time the Yankees have had to deal with this. So Gary Sanchez definitely rebounded. He I is, mean, look, look, they're young guys who have all the world, all world talent who have who's, who probably 
have have never had anybody tell them a negative thing. These guys have always, yeah. always been babied. You know what I mean? So the fact that one time it happens, they got to get through that. It's a maturity thing. It's easy to see how this could happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally understand yeah. it. Um, but it's something that Mateo, we're, his career very well could change on how he rebounds from this. If he comes back and is going to use this as a, as a learning experience and, and put his head down and work his ass off, then he could you know go on to play in the major leagues and become a very good player. If he uses this and is basically saying, screw the Yankees organization, I'm better than them, this could derail his career. It's that big of an issue. I agree, and not to mention, you look at you look at what's in front of him. There is a lot of competition in the middle infield above Jorge Mateo. Yes, he is you know the the overall number one prospect. But if you look at the guys who are playing above him, he's got significant competition, and it's not a clear path. So especially when we have Didi, who's having uh, you know a, a, a surge and and really becoming a complete player at the shortstop position, he's not going anywhere. Looks like second base is going to be opened up at some point if Castro were to move over to third. But that's that's to me, you know, he's got a lot of competition. He really does. You're right. He this is a pivotal point in his career. He was going to be in the futures game, which happens on Sunday of All Star Week. They don't put nobodies in the futures game. So the dude's got the talent. He's just got to realize that he's got to get his attitude straight, um, and he can obviously still be a huge factor for the Yankees, which is I think what they're they're I think they're trying to nip this in the bud, get out ahead of it, don't let it spiral out of control. You know, suspend him now when he can totally rebound from it versus having this happen maybe later in his career. And that's a big deal not playing in the Futures game. That's a national showcase game yeah, that's a that huge people stage. can see. You're yeah, play no in a Major League Stadium on All-Star Week. That's huge. That's a big deal. That's a big deal that he's missing that. Um, uh, also, a guy who's going to be missing some stuff is Aaron Judge, who was placed on the DL with a leg injury. I guess he said he felt a pop in his knee when he was diving for a ball, and then he later left the game after he was running the bases. Uh, this is bad because I always hate to hear when a guy of his size, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, somewhere in that realm, uh, realm, has knee injuries. That always scares me because his body is always going to be a little bit more fragile than a guy who is maybe just six feet tall. Yeah, and I, you never want to hear anybody hearing the, say that they, they felt a pop. I just, it makes me cringe. But this, you know, they're obviously going to be very careful with Aaron Judge. We we know the prospects of him, and especially over the past month and a half, and how he's just kind of how he's ripped through AAA. This is a guy who is on a on a giant rise, and we we as Yankee fans are looking to him to to be the heir apparent in right field. Yankees are very clearly looking for him to take that right field job next year. So this is a big deal. They gotta. They definitely have to take. Uh, Take all precautions with him and make sure he's 100% healthy before he gets back out there. This this cannot be something that lingers. So I I, th- I hope that they give him all the time he needs. Well, they didn't even put a timetable on it. They just said he's out of baseball activities for an undetermined amount of time. So they're going to reassess it, I think. It's also the AAA All-Star game coming up. Obviously, he's going to miss that. I guess it came at a good time if something like this can come at a good time where he's going to have about a week off uh, anyway. So that's good. But... Um, Overall, it, it's just scary because he was also going to be in the home run derby. I mean, the dude was raking. Right. He was he was really starting to make a name for himself in in the international league. He was going to, I think, come up to this team sooner rather than later. Uh, this is going to delay it. It has to. Yeah, and there have been people that they've the the uh, number of three to four weeks was thrown in there by somebody of, of baseball activities taking baseball activities off. So that's in my mind, like that's my that's my trigger as far as when they're they're gonna I guess reassess at that point. But even that, you look at three to four weeks. That's that's a long time to just stay off of it. To me, that's being very cautious. So that that's good. I'm glad they're taking that approach because. This is a guy who just proved over the past month. I mean, granted, we wanted to see the the him finish the season and how he could continue this and put a couple months together. But you got to be careful with a guy like this. And like you said, big bodies like that are a lot more fragile than a, a six foot more you know limber body that's a little bit more flexible. So yeah. So all right, we're at the All Star break. Home run derby is tonight. As you guys are listening to this in San Diego, are you a fan of the All Star Week? Yes, I am. I this is always this has always been a highlight of mine just ever since I was a kid, and that's probably why it's a nostalgia thing. You know, I'll never forget Bo Jackson, uh, his, kind of his coming out party with the All Star Game. Right. You remember all the stuff from the '80s when none of us were alive. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a great time for the All-Star Games, to tell you the truth. The 80s were awesome for the All-Star Games. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know so what the 80s were also awesome for? The good music? Neon bad pants, music. Neon pants and horrible hairstyles and jean jackets. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was 10 in 1990, so I, I, was, I was wearing whatever the hell my mother bought me. Um, the other thing so about... you were born in 1980? I was born in 1980, So yeah. you were conceived in the 70s? I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about being conceived. <laughs> the um, the All-Star Game itself... On the tracks. <laughs> yeah, the All-Star Game itself, as far as like the way I, I like it, I, I don't like the fact that it means anything now. I think that's stupid. So dumb. Um, but the, you know the fact that they're making all this money, you see what happens in in exhibition games. Guys just bail all the time, and I don't even know if this really keeps anybody in. The the fact that it matters for some people or for two teams or for one team really, but I, I don't know. I like the allure. The home run derby to me is a lot of fun. I like watching it. It's probably one of the only All Star games that I actually watch, and the All Star game itself. I actually do think that these guys take it seriously. I think it's it's fun to watch the matchups. I mean, the whole. Uh, you know, Randy Johnson, John Kruk thing. Like, all, there's a lot of a lot of different, I think, aspects of the All Star Game, and a lot more memorable times than than most, you know, of the Big Four All Star Games. I've watched every Home Run Derby and every All Star Game, at least parts of it, since I can remember. And usually, I watch them all. I mean, do you remember the one at Yankee Stadium in 2008? The yeah, Josh game? Hamilton. Well, the All Star Game went to like 16 innings or something crazy, and it, it counted then. But the Yankees were not going to make the World Series that year. They didn't even make the playoffs. But I watched every minute of that game. I was I was rooting for the AL to win, despite the fact that the Yankees were not going to be in it. So I still loved it and and still think it's one of the best exhibition games for all the major sports and i think the changes they made to the home run derby last year when they added that time limit to it really did a lot for it because the last couple years the home run derby kind of lagged on it was a three-hour event and you can only listen to to berman yell back 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 so many times before you want to blow your head off so i really like the fact that they added a time limit this year Mark Trumbo, who leads the league in home runs, he's the number one seed. They seeded it based on how many home runs you have. Um, also, Todd Frazier's in it. He won it last year. Adam Duvall, who's kind of a breakout star for the Reds, is in it. Robbie Cano, who's won it in the past, is in it. Giancarlo Stanton, who is, you know, he can hit 500-foot moon balls anytime he wants. Will Myers, Carlos Gonzalez, and Corey Seager are in it. I think that's a pretty good lineup. Yeah, it's fun to watch. And the other thing about the all, the uh, the home run derby is you love seeing when they when they bring out their own guy. Like when uh, when Cano brought his dad out to throw to him, like that was awesome. Some guys bring out their like their high school coaches or their brother or something like that. I love seeing that. I think that's a lot of fun because it's a guy they're they're familiar and and, and uh, they know will will kind of put the ball in their place. But um, yeah, I love I love I the 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 change that they made last year with a timer was a great move. It was a great move. They, I think the All Star Game has done. Baseball has done a really good job with the All-Star game in the past, and they've, they've made the necessary adjustments as well. you got to give Manfred and his organization credit. I think he's he came in after Bud Selig and actually did some things, some, some I guess you could call them minor changes. I mean, changing the home run derby format is a minor change, but it's an, an immediate impact, and it makes the viewing experience that much better. Uh, so who's your pick to win it this year? Um, I am going to pick Todd Frazier. I think he's going to defend. I think Todd Frazier is, uh, I think that dude mashes, man. I, I, I like watching him play, actually. I really wish that the, uh, that there was some possible way he could give, become a, a New York Yankee at some point in his career. I like, I like him as a player. I like that he's a Jersey guy. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call defending, uh, I'm going to call Todd Frazier defending his title. It's not a bad pick. I'm picking Robbie Cano. I think in this time format, it's all about not expending too much energy, and, and we know Robbie Cano has a sweet swing. He can just uh, he can hit balls out of the ballpark with ease. So I, I pick him to win. Who is a guy that is not in it, or you have not seen participate in the home run derby, who you think should that MLB should really get this guy to play in the home run derby? Uh, I see. I think that I think that over a long. I can't. I'm not thinking of one specific guy, but but I think that they should they should really try to get a lot of the bigger names out there as well. Like I, I like the fact that Duvall is is coming in, but nobody knows who he is, right? I would rather see some of the bigger name guys that that people can kind of get behind. Um, I think 
I think Edwin Encarnacion is a guy that should be in it almost every year. Like that dude just mashes, and he's fun to to watch in that in that kind of spectacle. Um, plus, all the Latin guys, they all get together, and it seems like they have so much fun doing this. I'm like, they seem like they have a lot more fun than than the rest of the dudes. Um, they all kind of root for each other from you know whoever's from the their home country and such. So I think maybe he's a guy that that's I, I think uh, suited well for the home run derby. I mean, think about the the '90s. I mean, Mark McGuire. Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, big names, um, yeah. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Piazza, A Rod, those guys all did it at least at one point in time. Mike Trout has not done the home run derby yet. And you and I talked about how he is undermarketed in the game. He's kind of out in California, and dude's the best all around player in baseball. And you wouldn't really know it unless you were a baseball fan. So. MLB needs to get him on the bigger stage because he's the best all-around player, and I want to see him in the home run derby. Yeah, I mean, and guys like Bryce Harper, like those guys should be. Well, in Harper's it. done it in the past. I know, but I still want to see him do it again. I think it's he's he's one of the more exciting guys. He's totally got a violent agree. swing. Totally agree. Like, that's a guy that you would absolutely love to watch. I mean, give me give me Bryce Harper over Adam Duvall all day long. I mean, or Corey Seager. I, I would much rather see a guy with a violent swing. He's got a little bit of attitude that people know about. It's just more fun that way. I don't know. And to me, that's the perfect spec. It's a it's a it's a spectacle. That's what it is. And you should put those kind of guys out there. And to me, those guys should want to do it too because it's a big stage. A lot of people watching you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Harper seems like he'd be perfect for it because, like you just said, he loves the big stage. He he didn't he say he wants to make baseball fun again. Yeah, exactly. So put put yourself back in the derby. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Uh, the Yankees will have Beltran, Miller, and Batances, which we've said already. They also have ex-Yankee Eduardo Nunez representing the Minnesota Twins. Um, I think if you could have bet on that in Vegas, who is the longest shot to make the All-Star team, Eduardo Nunez might have been on that list. Uh, but again, you got to have every team represented. And good for Nunez, man. This is a guy that we've, we've known him as a guy who's always had a plus bat. Defense was always the issue, a la Rob Refsteiner. It seems like it's a similar mold. Uh, I'd say Nunez probably has a little bit more power. But the fact that he's come on he's with the Twins and and played uh, you know pretty well, he's, they've, I think, pretty much he's played the majority of it at third base. Uh, and he's still raking. He's doing well. The helmet still flies off. And uh, good for him for, for earning that all-star nod. I'm, I'm happy for the kid. But do you really – care like do you care that eduardo nunez is in the all-star game wouldn't you rather see uh either nobody from the twins or joe mauer <laughs> like wouldn't you rather just see joe mauer get a pinch hitting at bat in the seventh inning no nah, see i don't want to see joe mauer anymore see like to me the when you get a guy like that who's who's older and uh, his career we've seen him at his peak and now he's he's a, a shell of what he was I, I don't want to see that baseball is a young man's sport I want to see the guys at the peak of their career in the All Star Game. I don't need to see these old these guys who are you know just to get the, the Joe Mowers of the world like to Derek get Jeter one of when that. he was voted in the last three years. I mean that's completely what that was. different story. Well, because completely different story. I'm a Yankee, if I'm a Twins fan, yes, I want to see okay, Joe Mauer. But but every team has to be represented, and I think it's just so stupid when you're making a rule like that, and everybody needs to to have somebody from their team on it. But oh yeah, it counts for the World Series home field advantage. It's just yeah. it just makes no sense. Like you can't so when, have it both when there's ways. one team, when there's one person for each team, is that just a coach's decision at that point? Because what the way you could change what kind of the way you're saying it is that if you have and granted this would be a, a very like a flash vote, but if your team doesn't get elected, then your team your fan base can elect the one guy for your team. That would be something that would be cool because then the fan base for that team is 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 picking the guy that they want. So it's only Minnesota Twins fans voting for a Minnesota Twins player. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's a 24-hour or 48-hour vote. You know, do what you put in everything you can, lobby for the guy that you want in. Yeah, and, I, and I'd and i probably say nine times out of ten, like, like, I bet this year Nunez would have gotten voted in. Over Maurer. Yeah. Because I think, because I'm sure, who else was voting for Eduardo Nunez other than Minnesota Twins fans this year? No, no, no. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. I'm, but I'm making that, like, the, the team promotes that as a vote. I mean, granted, other people may jump into that, but it would be a team-promoted vote. So they're only really marketing it towards Twins fans. You know what I mean? So, like, so each fan, each each team that didn't get a guy in could then have their own separate vote for, you know, hashtag whatever, Minnesota, and then put the, the name on it, and then tally those votes. I got gotcha. you. I yeah. 
I just think, I mean, I still like the All-Star game overall. I think it's a good experience. I just think some more things need to be changed. Obviously, you and I are in agreement. Get rid of that it counts thing. It didn't count when, like you said, uh, Kruk got uh, buzzed over his head by Randy Johnson, and that was fun as hell. So it doesn't need to count just to be fun. And I think they'll still take it seriously. And if it it sucked when it ended in 2002 in a tie because teams ran out of pitchers, but you can get around that by saying you have to elect, say, one or two pitchers on each squad to only pitch if it goes into, you know, say 14 plus innings, you can get around it. So um, I'll definitely be watching. Uh, all right. So let's some news around the league happened. The Red Sox are already getting in on the trade market. They made two moves. They acquired Aaron Hill, who I cannot believe is still playing baseball. I mean, the dude was playing for the Blue Jays, what, in 2007, 2000, no, 2004. Um, so pretty crazy that he's still around. And also they got Ziegler from, um, sorry, Arizona, Arizona, uh, because Kimbrell is going to have surgery on his knee out three to six weeks. So the Red Sox bullpen is definitely going to be in a little bit of trouble when Kimbrell's out, but, um, they're making moves already. They're, they're in it to win it. (laughs) In it to win it. Thank you. The, uh, the fact that. The, these are the moves though, like Aaron Hill. Okay, that's. I mean, he's a he's a utility guy. Play a little. He's another another guy that they can kind of float around different positions. Um, Brad Ziegler is a guy. He's he's a he throws from his shoes basically, right? He's a side sidearm older dude. Yeah, but he was closing he, for the D backs. I mean, he's he was got... closing well. He he he. I mean. That's I a think sig- he, that's a good that that's a significant. I would consider. I that get a it. It's a good move. It's a good arm. move. But it's you know it's it's a it's a, it's another maybe it was a knee jerk reaction to the fact that they knew Kimbrel was going to be out three to six weeks. It's a knee injury for a, for a, a closer that throws hard, and you don't know how he's going to come back from a knee injury. We've seen guys come back from knee injuries and be terrible and not be be a shell of themselves. You know that's a big it's a big thing for for a pitcher. Uh, I'm not sure which knee it is if it's his if it's his launch leg or if it's his if it's his plant leg. Um, but that you know we we no idea how he's going to come back from that injury. So that is a big deal. Uh, yeah, but I guess, Sox I guess fan, you're not happy. You're you're sitting there saying, "Nah, Ziegler's okay. I mean, it's a nice piece, but you know, it's not." Yeah, I mean, they're definitely worse. The edge. They're definitely worse off than they were if they just had a healthy Kimbrel. I mean, there's no question about that. But if Kimbrel does come back healthy, you add Ziegler to it, that shortens the game for them. Who they have issues in the starting rotation. Obviously, I mean, they, their best pitcher is a knuckleballer. That's not going to last. So, the I mean. They have issues, so if you're a Red Sox fan, you're not thrilled, but at least at least you got something, I guess. Yeah, they're trying to do something. They're trying to bolster the back end. It's 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 a good move. Um. All right. So the we talked, we recorded Monday on Fourth of July. So we actually, you know, don't have a ton of games to go through. The Yankees finished up in Chicago and they split the last two games in classic Yankees fashion. Where on Tuesday they had 20 hits and nine runs, and then on Wednesday they had like six hits and zero runs. If there's any metaphor for the 2016 Yankees, it's that they burn it in one game and then they lose it the next game because it's just, all been. It, uh... It's just up and down. It's 500. It's it's <laughs> yeah. it's good one night, bad the next night. It's yeah, and it's very and very the the top and bottom ends of the spectacle too. It's crazy. The the yeah, you know when they're doing this, it's uh it's tough to watch because you think you build some momentum again and then just just goes away the next the very next day. It's like having a big inning and then Pineda coming out and letting up you know three bombs. It's just a it's a bad 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 look, and that's exactly why this next two week span is going to show the true colors. It. It annoys me. I was watching that game Wednesday night, and Pineda did not have his good stuff. It's his first bad start in a few a few times out. So, but the the team just just fell f- so flat that you know he, he, no matter what Pineda did, you just knew the Yankees were not going to win that game. All right, and then the Yankees went to Cleveland, and they actually ended up having a good series overall. They took three out of four. Uh, I want to mention this Chad Green game. It's the one game they lost. And Chad Green had a good outing in San Diego, but then kind of showed his true colors as he's a 4A pitcher. Um, he, he's had good numbers in AAA, but he once he faces a good team, uh, a decent hitting team in Cleveland, not even a great hitting team, just a decent hitting team, I mean, the dude can't cut it. 
And I know Brian Cashman made the, the trade for him and Sessa because they needed more depth in the starting rotation if they needed a spot start. But is this really the best that the Yankees can do is Chad Green? You know, I, I don't know if it's totally fair to to judge him on, what, three starts at this point. You know, I think the, the fact that this kid would, had success, had good success in AAA and then came up, uh, you know, had a, a bad outing when he was first called up, then then came up and, you know, he's he's one up, one down, basically. Yeah, I think they're going to give him a longer look just so we can kind of see what he really is. But I think the jury's still out. I, I don't necessarily uh, – I, I can't necessarily make a decision on him or a judgment on him based on that. The fact that he has good AAA numbers, I mean, we've seen what happened when when Severino came up. You really just hope it's not fool's gold in AAA and that these guys can actually put it together. But the only way to find that out is by actually seeing it happen. So – to me, it's I'm okay with it, and and I, you know I would I would like to give him another couple of starts to see what happens because of the success in in AAA. But again, you're not going to know if that's fool's gold until it happens. A lot of times, it can be fool's gold because pitchers learn how to pitch, and and even with lesser stuff, they can get guys out in AAA. I mean, at least with Severino, you say he's a young, talented arm. He throws 96 miles an hour. He's got movement on his fastball. He needs to learn secondary pitches, but that can be done. I look at Chad Green pitch, and I'm just—it's just—it's mediocre. It's—it's it's flat stuff. Nothing exciting about it. I can understand how he can have you know a seven-inning performance with only one run in AAA, but I—I I realize that when he pitches in the major leagues, he's most likely going to get hit for five or six runs over four or five innings. Um, and and I just think that. The Yankees could have u- utilized Justin Wilson a lot more than they're utilizing Chad Green and Luis Sessa this year. Um, that's definitely. I think, see, I think Sessa's a plus arm. I think Sessa has an opportunity to be uh, to be good. I think I think that Sessa's more of. I think his his. Uh, I think they should have kept him stretched out. I would have liked to see him as a starting pitcher. I would have liked to see him come up as a starter. Uh, rather than this middle relief role, because I feel like when you keep meddling with these guys, moving them in and out, middle relief, there's just no definite position. They don't know where they are. It's it, to me, it's it's a tough spot for a guy like that. Uh, but I, I I do think that Sessa is a guy that has more ability, and and we could see something good from him. I think that's he's a guy to watch for the future. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I agree with you that if you look at his stuff, it does at, at least look more like it's major league caliber. Um, I. Tweeted something Thursday night when there was that heart attack closer game by Chapman. And I said, does anybody really feel that confident when Chapman's on the mound? And then he goes out Saturday night in extra innings and pitches two and a third. And it was one of the best pitching performances he's had for the Yankees. So I guess he shut me up. Um, But that game was crazy. Uh, One of the wilder games Yankees have played all year. And I think also um, the jig might be up on CeCe. Yeah, it's a tough one. CC over the past what three, four starts has just ever since uh, I guess that ankle injury, he's he's really not been the same guy. Well, no, actually, he came back and had two good starts after the injury, and then it went to shit. Okay, so I mean, maybe it, it could be something where they uh, they treat it and then it comes back or it lingers, or he's just he's just getting old and tired, man, and he's just not there. Who knows? But this, he's definitely not been the same guy. He's not been able to, uh, to to locate and get that bite on the on the breaking stuff as much. Where whereas before we talked about, he was playing with fire because he he had been letting a lot more guys on base. The walks were up, but he was getting out of situations. He was getting big double play balls, and unfortunately now when he gets those guys guys on, they're scoring, and he's not getting the big out when needed. And you know when you play with fire enough times, it's going to burn you, and that's what's happening. So we'll see if he can make another adjustment and and finish out the season strong you know with the same stuff that he's got because the stuff's not getting better it's just him you know executing his pitches and being smart out there and i think the yankees should take this opportunity of the all-star break to give him a few extra days rest i think he definitely benefits from that and unlike tanaka where tanaka is young and making enough money where he needs to pitch on his regular rest if you can get cc an extra day at his age and his you know physical condition i think you take it um today I know you said you were disappointed in Evaldi, but the dude did look pretty good out of the bullpen. Won the game after Tanaka did not look good. He pitched four and a third innings and and you know would have gotten the save if he didn't get the win. Good for my boy. Hey, finding a spot, right? Let's see what happens. Maybe he's gonna get Chad Green spot come back uh, after the All Star break. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I'm glad. I'm glad he's pitching well. He needs to. 
you know, fix whatever the hell's wrong with him, get that feel back. It drives me nuts hearing that. But, um, yeah, I'm glad he pitched well. Tanaka was disappointing. You know, you got to hold that. I mean, you, you held the lead, but you had 11 runs, for God's sakes. You let up seven runs. It's unacceptable. It's just it's not what you're supposed to do when you're playing the ace, the number one role for this team. You should be getting deeper into the game, especially in a game like that. Uh, but it was, uh, it was it was tough to see Didi um, with an error. But you know, over the past over the past week, Didi's been been. You're seeing this. I, I tweeted out today when he hit that double to left field. It was like it was such easy power to the opposite field, and that is such a big difference for this guy from what we saw early on last year. From year, you know, from from the kind of this, just the scouting report on him. He's he's developing that power, and he's developing the the ability to go all over the field with power. It's really impressive. And I, and I really hope this is a steady progression that just keeps getting better and then can be sustained because we have a very good player. If this is the, if this is who he is. I also think Tanaka should have picked Didi up in that situation. You can't let an error like that lead to three more runs. You got to pick your teammate up. Um, Especially for a guy who's been one of your better, your better players. You got to do that. Didi saves enough runs by shagging balls up the middle and flipping them to, you know, get the force out. Uh, we can handle one throwing error where the pitchers can suck it up and, and get out of that inning. Um, all right, let's get into some mailbags. This first one comes from Daniel Schneider. He uh, Daniel is the, the guy who sent me the movie 61, and he actually also sent me The Godfather. After no, you, did. He, you did get it? I got it after you gave me some shit for never seeing it. So I think that over the All-Star break, I will take the opportunity with no Yankees on to finally watch The Godfather. Very good. I can give you my thoughts next week. Excellent. Um, but here is his mailbag. He says, This team will yo-yo around 500 all season long, and if everyone who is currently playing like crap was able to turn it around and all the starters who have stunk this season also start pitching great, maybe we have a chance to fight for a wild card spot and the potential to probably lose another one-game playoff. This is not what I want. I want to break it down and build a team that can compete for years to come with real core players while getting ready for a huge free agent class in two years. I would try to create a bidding war for the teams that need closing help. And that includes the Nationals, Cubs, Indians, and Rangers. And I would love to package Chapman with McCann and trade them to Texas for Jerks and Profar, who we've talked about many times. Um, he goes on, he says, We need to consider trading anyone for someone who can help us get younger in my mind. And the only players who are untouchable are Didi, Dellen, Ref Snyder, Tanaka, and maybe Miller. Other than them and our top prospects, we should blow this thing up so we can potentially have another run like we did in the 90s. I don't want to root for us just to get into the one-game playoff and probably lose. I want a team that will compete for a championship on a yearly basis, even if it is not for a few years. So uh, I wanted to mention this mailbag for a couple reasons. One, Brian McCann, we don't always talk about him being a potential trade guy. Uh, one, because he has a full node trade clause and he's signed through 2018 guaranteed. And he has a vesting option for 2019 that I just looked up. Will vest automatically if he gets 1,000 plate appearances from 2017 to 2018, catches at least 90 games in 2018, and does not go on the DL to end the season in 2018. So there's actually a decent chance that option vests unless the Yankees make sure he doesn't get those at-bats. Um but is McCann a guy you would be willing for them to trade? Yeah, I think I'd be willing to trade him. I, you know, I don't think he's on he's on the top of my list to get rid of because I think he does have some some value moving forward as as a because because of the ability to to play first base and catch. And I think that you know having Greg Bird come back off of uh, uh, an injury um, and there's uncertainty there at first base in my opinion I think McCann's a guy who who can play first base uh, with Gary Sanchez coming up as you know the hot prospect at the catching position I think there's an opportunity for playing time there as well so I think he, he actually gives flexibility to the team um, he's still got a potent bat I think he provides leadership I think he's a good catcher uh, I, I, I like McCann as a player overall, so I wouldn't have him on the top of my list. But I can see he's he's a valuable catcher. I mean, he's a he's a good catcher. He calls a good game with power, um, and uh, that's that's a guy that that most teams would want. I don't know if teams would want to trade for him midseason though, because it's always risky to bring in a catcher midseason. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they need to work with the pitchers, so you're kind of just throwing the guy into fire, and it takes a while for pitchers to get comfortable. So, so maybe in the off season, if he waves his no trade clause, the Yankees can trade him to a team like Texas, who could use some catching help. 
But if you're mid-season, you're almost better off going with what you've got behind the plate. Even though McCann would be an upgrade offensively, he might actually take something away from the pitching staff, at least for a few month or a month or so, trying to get on the same page. We saw it when the Yankees traded for Pudge Rodriguez. The, the relationship he had with the pitchers was not very good at all. Well, and I don't know how much this plays into it, but if you look at McCann, he played with Atlanta for a long time. Um, Cole Hamels played for Philly for a long time, and you know the two of them probably have looked at each other scouting reports. I'm sure McCann has studied Hamels as well, uh, so that he could help out some of the batters. So um, there may there there is some familiarity there, at least of pitching style. So I don't know if that's something to consider. I have no idea. I'm just kind of guessing, but. Um, but yeah, I totally see your point. I think that is that is a valid point. I think working with a, a pitching staff, you kind of get that feel in the spring. You get the feel for the guy, uh, and you do build that rapport. So it's a it's a valid point for sure. But offensively, he is a, a you know an increase, a boost to to the team. What do you think of his uh, uh, Daniel's untouchables list? Dee Dee Dellen, Riff Snyder, Tanaka, and possibly Miller. I'm surprised that Riff Snyder's on there. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the fact that Riff Snyder's on there. Um, I, I'm surprised that he's on there because I don't even know if I'd put him as an untouchable. No, you can't team. put him on there. We love yeah. Riff Snyder, but if someone's willing to trade you something for him. Not anything. You're well, not the, giving the, them away. That's the thing, though. Maybe maybe there's a there's a reason why he put him on this list. Because to me, it would be very difficult to get the value back for a guy like Ref Snyder. I don't know what you would get back for him that would be, you know, a, a, a significant or equivalent value to you for this team. Because to me, he is a very valuable guy uh, that provides flexibility. But when you look at him as a player and just a player alone, and Maybe it's a team that sees him as a second baseman per se. Well, if you're just looking at him as that, to me, that's a you're diminishing the value of that guy. And then when you're talking about return, I don't think you're going to get the same value. So that would be actually a tough trade, uh, in my opinion, unless he was like a throw-in piece on yeah. something major. I that's, think that's, that's where I think you get it. Yeah, you're not going to get anything for him when he's the centerpiece. But if right. he would certainly be a nice sweetener for a team. Say you're trading uh, Raldis Chapman and Rob Refsnyder, you could get a very, very top-level prospect for that for that pair. And in that case, I would be fine trading ref Snyder, but, but yeah, it, would you know, be, it would be a sad day. It would be a sad it would day. Be a sad day. We'd have to, we'd have to play that vine on loop for maybe an hour or two. Uh, and I don't think and in all honesty, I, I don't, I don't think Tanaka is on the no trade list uh, for the Yankees. Well, no one's taken him. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's owed $25 million a year, but I think Cashman would move him in a heartbeat. Of he course he would. Yeah. But no one's taking that contract. Uh, and Andrew Miller has showed up on a lot of Yankees fans' no-trade list. They love Andrew Miller. I love Andrew Miller, too. But how many times do I have to say that he is the most valuable trade asset the Yankees have? If we're getting prospects back for Andrew Miller, uh, I'll drive him to the airport. Um, not, I'm not saying I, I want him off this team by any means, but he is not on the untouchables list. All right, so Daniel, thanks for the mailbag. Next one comes from Joe's McFly, and he actually asked this question on Twitter. He says, everyone looks at Bird as the heir apparent to first base, but with Tyler Austin's breakout season, can he wrestle it away from Bird? So what are your thoughts on the Bird-Tyler Austin dynamic going into next year? Yeah, it's interesting. And if you look at it, and I don't know how many how many how many fans really are as in tune with what Tyler Austin's done in AAA, but yeah, uh, you know, hitting to a clip of 294 batting average, 375 on base percentage, nine home runs, 31 RBIs, got promoted uh, from Double A AA to AAA, and is actually performing better in AAA. So this is a guy that's definitely making noise in AAA in the Yankees organization at first base, and the the fact that uh, that Greg Bird has been down for a year, and you know. We'll we'll see how he comes back from that shoulder injury. Obviously, he has kind of a leg up, but he's got he's got a little bit of stock because of what he did last year in the second half. But yeah, it's an interesting thing. We got to look at what happens. I think spring training will will tell some stories, and I think the Yankees will will make it a competition. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's not like it's it's Bird's job. It's it's assumed that it's his job, but the the fact that there's another guy trying to wrestle it away from him, I think, is only only a positive for for this organization. I really like the fact that Austin's OBP is 375. I think that shows plate discipline. I mean, that's over 70 or it's 81 points ahead of his batting average. So, I mean, that's a tremendous on-base percentage. And I know it's in limited time. I'm looking up his stats now, and he's played 32 games in Scranton this year and 50 games in AA. So, obviously, the majority of his season came in AA where he also had a 367 on base percentage. So so it seems like he's got a lot of plate discipline, which is something that uh, we know the Yankees love. 
And also with Swisher retiring, he's going to have a lot more at-bats, uh, I would assume, or just have a lot more opportunity to play in, in AAA moving forward. So we'll, have, you know, we'll see more at-bats after the All-Star break uh, in AAA as well to, to see if he can continue it and show some, uh, some longevity with those stats. Austin's also a right-handed hitter and Bird's a left-handed hitter, so I don't want them to platoon. I, I, I'm not calling for a platoon. But at least if Austin can make the team as maybe the backup first baseman next year, and I, and I know he's also played some third base, um, that's a nice that's a nice player to have that kind of versatility with a right-handed bat next season. I thought we had a backup first baseman named Rob Refsnyder. Now he's getting traded uh, for for um, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, okay. In the Kyle Schwarber trade, you just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Refsnyder can play all over the field. Um, you can't have too many of those guys <laughs> until you have a whole team of them, and then that's too many. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for the mailbags, guys. If you want to submit a mailbag, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can hit us up on our new Twitter account, at uh, Yankees Podcast. I believe we got over the 100 followers mark a couple days ago. So definitely hit us up there. It's either Scott and I tweeting from there. And also call the voicemail line 646 646- Four eight zero zero three four two, Scott. It's late at night right now. Any last words? I'm ready to go to sleep. I've had a long weekend. I'm looking forward to the All Star break for for uh, a couple reasons. I think it'll be a nice, uh, just you know, time off from from a little bit of baseball, which I think everybody needs uh, after watching a 500 up and down yo yo season. I think we all could take a little bit of a break and come back re- refreshed and see what what happens up to the uh, to the all-star break or to the uh, trade deadline because as soon as we start again it's the gauntlet and it's a it's a it's a pretty big gauntlet it's going to tell a story of the way that the rest of the season goes so see what happens but um yeah get some R&R in I'm actually going to be at the first game back against the Red Sox at the stadium it'll be my it'll be my actual first trip to the stadium this year if you can believe that Nice. Well, that'll be a good one to go to. If anyone wants to hit up Billy's or, or the dugout or anything before the game, find me on Twitter, at uh, Yankees Talk. You can find Scott on Twitter, at Scott Reinen. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.